Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. Good day, everyone. It is the 5th of June. This is episode 168. Fun show for you coming up. Friday show. We are going to be talking to uh, Sachit Maya Myra from Reason and also an alumnus of the Australian Taxpayers mm. Alliance. Uh, he's in Washington, D.C. at the moment. He's been spending a lot of time around the protests. He's been seeing the riots. So we want to talk to him because, like, there's a whole lot of information out there on what's going on. And then, you know, there's also, like, is it as bad as people saying? Is it even worse? We wanted to talk to someone who we trust and is actually there. So such is going to be on. It's a really great conversation, and I really enjoy talking to him. A uh, whole bunch of other stuff we're going to be doing on the show today. Anything you're looking forward to, Pete? Well, I firstly like to say a very good use of the word alumnus. I didn't realise that alumni was the plural until like yesterday. I didn't I even know I said it. alumnus. So, so there we go. Great job. Now, it's a really good chat with Satya because uh, he is at Reason and Reason do a lot of awesome work on criminal justice in the United States, which is obviously a pretty big issue at the moment. So uh, it's good to get into that. Um, yeah, no, that's probably my holiday at the moment, but also I do. I am looking forward to speaking about Emma Watson and Ashton Kutcher later in the program. Yes, so stick around for that because uh, protests uh, and Black Lives Matter and George Floyd are obviously still the biggest story in the world. Now, mm. Pete and I went pretty deep dive into what our thoughts were on Tuesday's show, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back and listen to that because uh, I don't really want to go over the same ground again, but... There are developments, and now that they're coming to Australia as well, there are huge developments. So, But the uh, protests have gone worldwide. I mean, I've been seeing videos from people in London, people in Paris, people in South Africa, even all protesting uh, basically the uh, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's protest, which is mm. huge to think about. Like So many people around the world concerned about one, one life in Minneapolis, which is huge and just shows the power of social media. Uh, but yeah, before we get into Australia, do you have any thoughts on the global side of things? Uh, it was sad to see in part in places like London and Paris protests turn violent. We saw a couple of Channel Nine journalists, of course, attacked, which was incredibly scary to watch them on film. But it's also important to notice that the you know a lot of protesters are also peacefully protesting. I think the main thought out of this over the last few days is being to not get too distracted by the silly, not the silly, but the cultural. Uh, what are they called? The culture wars on this. You know, like there are some really concrete, discreet. Um, reforms that should be made to criminal justice in the US, which we get into with Satya, that are important and are about state overreach and about freedom. And they're the things we should be talking about more and don't get too distracted and annoyed, although it is annoying, by the black squares on Instagram and things yeah. like that. Try and not We are going to be talking about those black squares on Instagram later in the show. We so get distracted by we them. We get distracted by it, but after 40 minutes of serious chat, and that's when you can afford to be distracted by something. Exactly right. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, the riots were obviously a huge issue in and of themselves. I kind of see them as like two separate issues. There's like genuine people peacefully protesting the issue of police brutality in the US, mm. and that is one thing. And then there is where do these rioters and looters come from? Because like, I, I really, I mean, obviously there are huge distinctions between the two groups, but it's hard to really see the rioters and looters as being solely uh, motivated by what they saw happen to George Floyd. Like mm. there are, and I've been hearing interviews with people who were there to loot and you know they, they were there to loot and mm. they were there to destroy the world and stuff like that so i mean i see them as two issues george floyd stuff we talked about on tuesday and then the riots are just uh well yeah we talk about it with Sachi, but it's so sad uh, that, that this is happening and these people should be prosecuted and but it, you know there's like this whole cultural understanding we need to go through of like where are these looters rioters coming from because you think in a civil society they wouldn't exist but they are, mm -hmm. and they're out there right now. Yeah, no, exactly right. Something that's going to be a big part of the political debate going forward. You did mention that you were sad. At least 13 people killed and 10,000 people arrested as a result of the protests across the US, which is a massive number, but it is good to see that at the moment it does appear that they have quietened down a bit. Well, I'll tell you where people positive thing. Will, not be pro will not be arrested, Pete, and that is in the state of Victoria. So as we said, like the protests about George Floyd are uh, going to happen across Australia this weekend. Yeah. And uh, there's been a huge debate now that a lot of police departments are just basically trying to look the other way. And all the social distancing regulations, all the, okay, if you have more than 10 people, then it's a fine, and now 20 people. Or you know, even in Victoria, if you go visit your mum on Mother's Day, that's illegal. The second that people start protesting on mass you know, on a really divisive subject the mm. police are like look we'd prefer you wouldn't but uh you know we're not going to do anything oh yeah this is absolute crap i mean the, the victoria police as you said they said they're not going to find anyone uh 
the, the New South Wales Minister for Police, David Elliott, said not all the politicians approve it, but there's nothing we can do about it. He goes on to say there are things in our society which are virtually impossible to stop and the right to protest is one of them. Mate, you've stopped every other right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, well, the change, like New South Wales will be issuing fines if there are more than 10 people there tomorrow, but that's to fine organisers. But yeah, it's uh, uh, th- that, that did take a while to say and then you had that police minister go on Ben Fordham's show and just go like, well, we just, you know, we're not going to put fines in. And yeah. Just go, okay, but if it's a law, then you need to enforce it. Otherwise, it's not a law anymore. Yeah, exactly right. So th- this now becomes a debate because there's now like three camps, which is people that go, this protest is really about a serious issue and we should support people that go to that protest because it's a serious issue. Mm. But also I'm very scared about coronavirus and I do want these restrictions placed in. Then there's a camp that I say I belong to, which is I don't think people should be fi- fined on Saturday and also people should not be fined for going to work tomorrow. Mm. Uh, and then there's another camp, which is, okay, but if – uh, you should hand out fines because if I couldn't go visit my mum on Mother's Day or if I can't see more than 20 of my friends mm. and I get a fine, then therefore, biological conclusion, so should they. Mm. So I go, uh, I'm, I'm close. To, I, I see where the third camp is coming from, the people that think both should be, if, if one's fine, then so should the other. I think we should be using this as like a celebratory moment to go, this is clearly the end of coronavirus mm. as a massive government policy concern because like there is no way the government can go okay this is fine but then you know what uh don't go to work tomorrow Mm. so this is the end like they can't there can be no more fines ended out for breaking social distancing after this weekend in victoria if no one is fine in victoria i would agree with that but i want to go a step further and say hang on you guys said that this stuff was going to kill people if Mm. you go to the if you go to the pub if you go we had armed officers entering funerals as coffins were leaving the funeral to question the woman whose dad had died about uh, how many people were there and if there was more than 10 and all stuff like that. And that was because these people said it was going to kill people. So you either think that this protest is going to kill people or you think, or you've been not telling the truth about how bad coronavirus is. It can't be both. Yeah, yeah. And for people that go like, okay, coronavirus is still an issue, but this is something that's bigger than coronavirus. Or like, this is something that people really need to get up and talk about. Sure, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But- it's not the intention of breaking the law that decides whether or not like it's guilt it's illegal for one person but not another it's mm. the action and if two people have the action of gathering more pla- uh, gathering more people in one place than the law allows it doesn't matter what purpose brings them there uh it's either illegal or it isn't yeah. So if 30,000 people can go and march through Black Lives Matter protests, mm. then 30,000 people should also be able to go to the footy yeah. like I, you can say one's more important than the other but it's the action yeah, and and for the record, I don't actually think that it is that dangerous. Like, I think I don't think we're going to see a big COVID outbreak as a result of this protest. Um, but yeah, as we say, as we've been saying, uh, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, there we go. So I mean, you know, it, it's going to be a huge issue. And uh, again, to bring it back to the subject line, I do not want to see people fined for breaking social distancing. Mm. But I'm treating this as the end of coronavirus as a serious government policy issue. Yeah. There's no way they can come back. All right. The other story we want to talk about is uh, tradies and house stimulus. And Pete, this has fired you up. It has fired me up. This is also absolute crap. So <laughs> for the second time in three topics. So we've had the first recession in 30 years. The Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe said the downturn won't be as bad as first thought, but it is. it will be a recession. Uh, to kickstart that, the Prime Minister has called for what is a, what he calls a tradie-led recovery. It's like, oh, can I please get a knife and stab myself in the face? <laughs> wow. Like <laughs> That's heavy. Um, yeah, I mean, that to me is very, um, just so marketing, you know, trade led recovery. Anyway. Scotty from marketing, you said. Oh, uh, yeah, something like that. So, anyway, the government's going to provide grants of $25,000 to eligible homeowner occupiers. They must enter into a contract between now and December to build a new home worth up to seventy five, sorry, $750,000 or to substantially renovate an existing one valued at up to $1.5 million with a minimum renovation cost of $150,000. Uh, and to be eligible, James, you have to earn less than 125k a year, or be in a couple that earns less than 200k a year. Now, this is just absolute pork barreling. This is just. Do you know who votes for the coalition? People that own houses and tradies. So I'm going to do two things that make that are really good for those people. It all it does now. You people out there listening might be thinking, you know, this is a boring topic. I'm at uni. I don't care about you know. Uh, what is it, stimulus for tradies, but this is really important for two reasons. Firstly, it's going to keep you out of a house for longer. It's already really difficult for Australians, particularly young Australians, to buy a house and it's going to make the debt that we have to pay off that's absolutely massive even bigger 
And it's not like when, at the start of the COVID thing when, you know, the first one was a bit of a hot mess, the JobKeeper thing. You can sort of understand that because this pandemic just, you know, sprung up and hit us. But this, they've had weeks to plan for this. And, and the trade, the construction industry never got shut down. You know, it's not hospitality or, or um, tourism or something like that. It's construction and, and they'll take a hit, but they never actually got shut down. Um, and it's just going to hurt young people trying to get it. And the construction industry is going to shrink anyway because immigration is going to be lower over the next few years. So, um, yeah. My thing is like we have just so many examples through Australian political history mm. of times the government have come in with a big idea to save an industry mm. and it's been wrong. Yeah. And there's just no way that this one is going to be, you know, I know we stuffed up 25 times in the past, but this time mm. we've got it. Like the only way out of coronavirus, uh, the economic effects of this is by, as we've said at the IPA for a very long time now, you've got to cover and tape, you've got to let people get back to work, get the government as far away out of the picture as feasibly possible. Yep. Because when the government comes in and goes, you know what, we're going to spend even more money to make sure that things don't go badly, what always happens is things go even worse. Yep. And with Australian debt the way it is right now, and I know, like, again, debt, not the most sexy thing to talk about for uni students out there, but it is important because we're the ones going to be paying it off. We try to keep things sexy here. With debt uh, going up to, like, $1 trillion in three years, like, every single dollar the government spends has to be pretty damn well justified. Mm. Don't see this one as being too well justified. Exactly right. Think about it like this. I just had a, a little nephew. Well, my, my sister-in-law had a little nephew. Congratulations. And he owes the government thousands of dollars. Wow. Think about it like that. That's running up a tab. And kids that haven't been born yet owe the government thousands of dollars. How fair is that? Exactly. All right. So last issue I want to talk about before we get into likes and dislikes. So last week on the show, we talked about Trump versus Twitter and Section 230 of the Communications Act and basically the idea of whether or not these social media platforms, are, these social media companies are platforms or publishers. Like, mm. should they be legally responsible for what gets posted on their website because of the way that they're acting? Now, uh, I, we were lockstep in that they shouldn't be held legally responsible. For once. And now Australia has its own case. So this week, Nine and News Corp Australia uh, uh, had their appeal, New South Wales Court of Appeal, against them over the Dylan Voller case. If people don't remember what this is, he was a uh, detainee, a Northern Territory youth detainee, and comments were made on a Nine and News Limited, a News Corp Australia Facebook page about him that were defamatory, and the court found that they were defamatory. But interestingly, the court didn't go after the people that wrote those comments, but they went after Nine and News Corp Australia for hosting Facebook pages where people can make comments. So, and then they appeal, and now uh, the, the appeal has found that, yeah, no, they're still legally responsible. So, here's the reasons for it. So, in a decision on Monday, the New South Wales Court of Appeal said news outlets, including The Herald, owned by Nine and News Corp's Australian, were liable as publishers of readers' Facebook posts because they, quote, encouraged and facilitated comments, end quote, by setting up Facebook pages. So, in a joint judgment, uh, Justice Megan and just, Acting Justice Simpson said a person who, quote, participates and is instrumental in bringing about publication of defamatory matter inquiry may be liable as a publisher even if others have participated in different degrees so it's basically like the way defamation law works with social media companies or newspapers and stuff is like the the thought exercise i have is if someone gets up in the middle of a square like a town square right Mm -hmm. and they stand on a crate and they call you something defamatory right give me an example uh they call peter gregory someone that doesn't like footy that is pretty defamatory right very defamatory destroying of your character Mm. but say they get up and you go, okay, that's hurt my, that's hurt my business, that's hurt my uh, self-esteem, I've had damages. Yeah. It'd be ridiculous for you to sue the crate company because they make crates. Mm. And then like, once the guy walks out of the store with his crate, that's not up to them what he does with it. Leave the crates out of it. Sorry, but it's slightly different if that person posted it in a newspaper because newspaper have editorial processes, they publish it, they went so far above and beyond the call of duty to get the word out there that Peter Gregory does not like footy. Mm. So it's slightly different. Now... What you have to ask yourself is, is Channel 9's Facebook page a newspaper or is it a crate? Now, because, <laughs> like, that's what's happening here yeah. is, is Channel 9 responsible for what anyone in the world posts on a comment thread? And you can say, like, if they post up a story and people say defamatory comments about people involved in that story, it's different. But what if someone wrote something about Dylan Voller in a story about, you know, I don't know, a married at first sight weekend roundup? Like... Can they really be held responsible for what's said about Dylan Voller on that post? So that's the philosoph- philosophical way. The 
way this is going to work politically is that every news agency now is just going to close down their comment section. Mm. Why would you run the risk of something else happening like this? Mm. So say goodbye to comment sections, yeah. which is not good. No, absolutely. And you, like, you need to hire a social media kid with legal training yeah. on every single, every single story. So it's and you think like every news agency and news, uh, news service in Australia is now firing people en masse. Like they're going to go hire someone to just scroll social media comments. Yep. They're just going to shut them down. Exactly right. And these comments, you know, we sort of bag comments because they're a bit of a cesspit, but also they, they ventilate ideas and they let people, you know, yeah. it's part of the to and fro of uh, exchanging ideas. And it's one of the things about the internet we love is that you can talk, you know, with someone on the other side of the world and have a dispute about or, or an agreement about whatever. Yeah, and then the other part of it is, like, you thought the Australian media were disconnected from the mainstream now. Mm-hmm. What happens when they don't even see their own comments? Yeah. Like, the journal just sends off their article and they never hear back from it again because they don't have the comment section to go, like, oh, 90% of people disagree with me about this. Maybe I got this one wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost, there's an argument that says the only reason we found out that the mainstream was disconnected from the media was because of social media i mean maybe it was like this in the 80s and no one realized well i don't know i i i tend to go like people sort of realize that media disconnect were disconnected from them but you can mm. say like the media are now well they're not self-aware but they could be self-aware if they read the comment sections mm. but now if we got rid of the comment sections they're gone forever yeah we're just off in another world no you're exactly right this is uh, but the thing is we should mention for the listeners is that they're going to uh, appeal yeah but uh so we'll see how that goes but uh yeah that's that's the uh, social media rant. Okay, likes and dislikes. We do Heroes and Villains on Tuesday. Likes and dislikes yeah. on a Friday. So, Pete, what have you liked this week? Heroes and Villains is a bit too definitive for a Friday. So, we're just a like and a dislike. I think it's just a different flavor <laughs> rather than whether or not it's definitive. I'm bringing, I, I bring the heat every single day. I don't care what day it is. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good, mate. I'm glad that that's the case. Now, my like for this week is the Hong Kong protesters. Tens of thousands of demonstrators in Hong Kong have defied a ban to stage a mass vigil for the victims of Tiananmen Square, the 31-year anniversary of that. Now, they put they go to this place called Victoria Park in Hong Kong, not where the maggots used to play, but where it's just a park in Hong Kong. Uh, they erect- that was a really good reference for 17 people. <laughs> oh, mate. I think a few more than 17 people know that Collingwood used to play at Victoria Park. Anyway... They, the Chinese, well, not the Chinese, but the Hong Kong authorities erected barricades, uh, but the protesters knocked them down. They went in there. They had their vigil. Now, earlier lawmakers had, had a controversial bill making a crime to insult China's national anthem. Now, this is obviously it's always very brave in Hong Kong to go out and protest because, you know, we can see the things that can happen. We saw during the week an Australian student uh, actually made to sit on a plastic chair in a Chinese or a Hong Kong police station for 20 hours so I like you know good on the bravery of the Hong Kong protesters for that but also the and and if I can say like I complained on the show about my back problems Mm. doing the show from home I can never complain about anything like that again no James there are people out there doing it tougher than you Uh, and they what was I going to say oh so historically Tiananmen Square protesting in Hong Kong's really big deal because other parts of China, they're not allowed to protest at all or even talk about it. So that's always been really a big deal for them. The first anniversary of Tiananmen Square back in 1990 was a massive thing. Anyway, it's a huge thing in Hong Kong. The ongoing bravery of the Hong Kong people in the face of tyranny is inspirational. It should be inspirational for all of us. And then my like this week. All right, so wait, my like this week. Uh, so when Scott Morrison was launching this uh, home, what, what was the name of it? The home building thing? Oh, geez, you put me under. Anyway, so Scott Morrison, when he's announcing the home owners thing, he was having a press conference and strayed a bit too close to someone's lawn, and this guy was not having an absolute bar of it. So I think we've got audio from the press conference that we're going to play right now. 10,000 Australians. Everyone get off the grass, please. Sure. Let's just move back from there. Oh. Hey guys, I've just reseeded that. <laughs> he's just reseeded it. Right. Get off his grass. He's just reseeded it. Uh, so what I love about this, sorry, if for people that haven't seen the video or for people that are just listening right now, like this guy is just dressed for his morning. He's mm. in uh, track pants. I mm. believe it's the Australian term. I always say Very track good. pants. I'm track pretty. pants. That's good. And a hoodie. Just coming out, just saying like, look, guys, come on. But what I love about this, like one, great clip and fun and just beautiful. But mm. second is just like, if I can be the guy that takes a funny clip seriously for a second, okay, that is beautiful. Like yeah. that is the perfect relationship between individual and state, right there. That's like, true. I it is so good. Like there are so many places in the world and so many times throughout history 
where uh, it'd be different to right now because nothing is going to happen to that guy hmm. for telling the PM and the media to get off his lawn. Uh, it's like that would be a death sentence in other countries and yeah. a death sentence in different times. But him, it's just like, hey, look, this went viral for a day. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just the hero at his pub for a few weeks. No, that's exactly right, James. It's beautiful to live in a country where you can tell the most powerful person in the country, mate, <laughs> I just preceded it. <laughs> right? And, and he does. Yeah, and he does. <laughs> and ScoMo doesn't like go... Oh, he's coming. He's like, oh, sorry, sorry, mate. You know. Yeah. And at the end, he sort of goes, "Sorry, mate." And the other guy, yeah, no worries, mate. It's just, <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, perfect interaction all around. Look, you didn't know this grass was reseeded. Now you do. You've moved. I'm okay with it. Yeah. No, it was beautiful, mate. For, uh, hashtag Australia. Indeed, it is uh, the most proud I've been in my country for a very long time. Now let's head over to dislikes, Pete. What have you disliked? Disliked this American police. Yeah, this is a serious one. American. I'm going to get my computer and make sure I get this right. Uh, American. <laughs> Good. Uh, American police unions. Yeah, it's, I don't think this is one you want to freewheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah this is just, you know, whatever comes into my mind. So economist Rob Gillazow at the University of Victoria in North America studies the history of police killings and the protests that result for them. And he and a couple of other economists have been collecting data on how police unionisation in the United States, and this has been a discussion that's been bubbling around a bit in the United States, and we talk about with Satya is the role of unionisation in not necessarily police violence, but hiding police violence over the last few decades. Now, the finding of this bloke's and his and his colleagues' research is clear. It says after police officers gained access to collecting bargaining, bargaining rights, there was a substantial increase in the killing of civili- civilians. Uh, police unions have been able to bargain over time, not just for better wages for police officers, which is completely fair enough, but stuff like delaying... Uh, the time between when it, when a uh, officer is accused of malpractice, the time between collecting a statement of the officer um, after the crime. So rather than getting a statement at the scene, they can have a few days to uh, get their story straight, as it were, um, and also speak to the other people there. Uh, even stuff like how many breaks they're given when they're taking a statement. Uh, they're given the names in some circumstances, all in some circumstances, uh, of witnesses that is that are uh, acting against the officer, that are giving evidence against the officer, including other police officers. Uh, stuff like the photos that are released to the media when this happens, the police officer's photo, not in the case that we just had, but it previously would not be released, but the, the person who died would be released straight away, and often those photos weren't that flattering, uh, and it was a way of manipulating the public mood, I suppose. Uh, the evidence in the National Review this week, which is a publication in the United States, said um, unions have orchestrated campaigns to remove office, uh, remove from office local councils who suggest reforms like citizen oversight bodies over the police forms, uh, over the police force, and in a lot of states, unions have won special protections to protect police from laws they're meant to enforce. So, you know, I'm not saying all unions are bad and they're, you know, completely complicit in this, but a lot of the things that they have brought in have helped police in the United States hide from the stuff they've done that is would be police brutality. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if, if you can't trust the police to act transparently and with your own best interest at heart mm. all the time, then you can't really have a police force. So it's good that there's reforms coming in because of what's happened. Yeah, exactly right. And, as you, and if you check it, if you Google that National Review Police Brutality Unions, a few articles will come up and there's an example after example after example. So. All right. So, uh, so, wait, so my dislike this week, sorry, the Northern Beaches Council over in Sydney have approved a funding of at least 100000 up to $1.7 million for the... For, a pretty interesting statute, Pete. Mm-hmm. This is going to be public artwork to remember coronavirus. Okay. Now, I don't think anyone's going to forget coronavirus anytime soon. No. Uh, I'm going to quite pretty well remember it for the rest of my life. Mm. Uh, so I don't really see the need, especially in a time like this, for a 100000 to $1.7 million statue to be built. Uh, but I thought, you know what, if we're doing it, if it's been greenlit, yeah. and it seems it has been greenlit. Greenlit? <laughs> it's got the... Fo- <laughs> greenlit? It's been greenlit then it should be good. Yeah, okay. So I want to go, I want to think about this and think, okay, if there is a statue coming and it is about coronavirus, what would it look like? Hmm. So do you have any thoughts? I've, got, I've thought long and hard about this right. and I've got an idea. All right, so one of mine, uh, I've got a few. Oh, okay. You so uh, one of the ones I thought is it should be a statue of just someone sitting there watching Netflix for like four hours. Okay, yeah, that's similar to one of mine. Yep. Do you, so would that be like a live thing where there'd actually be Netflix on? Yeah, it could be a good way for you to go like, Form okay, what are other people watching right now? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. All right, so that's one statue. I like it. I'm happy to do it for $100,000 to sit there on a Sydney beach and watch Netflix. Sounds yeah. like a pretty good gig. Yeah. Like if you don't need to bring the statue into it, it could just be me. Yeah. 
Just occasionally slip me a glass of water and some Doritos and I'll be able to do it. That would remind us of the horror. Of <laughs> Certainly existence. how I remember coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, so do you want me to hit you with one? Go ahead. What I was thinking was what we need to remember coronavirus, remember the source of coronavirus, is a single droplet of snot. Uh, that yeah. is inf- Well, it doesn't have to actually be infected because that would be dangerous, but that is infected with coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. That has just been sneezed through the air at someone and infected someone. All right. So a single droplet of snot would be a good way of remembering. Well, they have walked away from because every news outlet ran with this story with a giant coronavirus germ yeah. on a beach, and they say, "Well, it's not going to be that." So you think, okay, no, but let's 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 explore that area. How did you know how my tiny brain works, James? Because <laughs> I saw that and I was like, "Oh, I'll just do the cell," and then I'm like, "No, nah, James will do that." But yeah, there you go. Uh, I've got uh, someone in Victorian border watching another state. Sadly, you just got to like draw an Aubrey Wodonga and just go like, "Oh, look at them! Look at them all hanging out." Yeah, that's how I remember. People when you in the Northern Territory at pubs. Oh, oh, I've got one. What about Michael Gunner on the blower? Oh yeah, to the brewery. (laughs) Just you know, sleeves rolled down on the blower. You get beer to Darwin or anywhere else in the Northern. So for people listening to this, they go like, "I wish you guys would take this a bit more seriously." Like, I'm not going to. But uh, (laughs) if we want to remember coronavirus, we want to remember Australians at our best. And Michael Gunner was our best for a good while there. Oh, he was. Yeah, uh, I've got another one. Someone asking if they're on mute or not in a Zoom meeting. I think oh. that's how a lot of us are going to remember coronavirus. So I think it should just be a statue of that. Or two people awkwardly speaking at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you, no, go, you go. No, you no, go. No, no. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> me? Wait, me or you? Yeah. Uh, and then they both start again. And, yeah. uh, and then my last one was just day drinking. I think that's how a lot of people have spent their coronavirus time. So really? I think there should be a statue to day drinking. Are you like, you're sort of revealing what you've been doing with, during your day? No, I've actually been pretty good, but yeah. I have seen a lot of memes on the subject of day drinking. Yeah. So I think other people out there, not me. During work hours. Oh, <laughs> he just winked for those listening and it was very traumatic. Um, what that's I, your statue. I had one more that was just a doona. A do- yeah, good. That we were Hard to tell it's a doona in a statue form. Could be a lot of things. You could maybe label it. Yeah. <laughs> doona. <laughs> All right, uh, that is it for the start of the show. We're now going to be talking to Satya Mara from Reason Foundation and a alumnus, as discussed earlier in the show, yeah. of the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. Really interesting chat. Guy that's at the scene of these protests, at the scene of these riots, and what you know, what what reforms can be put in to actually make some lasting change, which mm-hmm. is what we need to be thinking about. Yep. So we'll now go to that interview. Okay, I'm really looking forward to this interview. So, Sajid Mara, policy analyst at Reason in the US, friend of the IPA. I know you've uh, we've crossed paths a few times before. You're now over in the US, and things are happening. You're in Washington DC, so thanks for coming on. And also, like, what's happening over there? Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, look, the last few days have been quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, so, on Friday, they finally decided to allow small businesses like restaurants to open up again. But then by Monday, or actually by my Saturday and Sunday, uh, you know, full-scale huge protests had broken out, and some of them had turned into riots by the evening. Uh, you know, I spend the day out on on, sat- on Saturday night and, and Sunday, uh, you know, having a look at the way things were going. And what I want to stress is that for most of the day, uh, these protests were completely peaceful. Uh, you know, de- they were loud and vocal, people demanding an end to police brutality, but they were peaceful. And then sometime around 6.37, uh, we had a bunch of kids flinging plastic bottles and other objects at the police. And from there it went on. And suddenly you had a few people who set things on fire. Uh, by the end of the night, cars were on fire. I saw a pharmacy being broken into and looted. Uh, I saw you know, literal dumpster fires and then bins being chucked through the windows of buildings. Um, and it was complete chaos after that point, small businesses being attacked. Um, so it, it's been a very intense week. Uh, things have calmed down since then. In the last few days, uh, the police have sort of had a bit of a stronger presence. Uh, peaceful protests still continue, uh, but there hasn't been too much more violence uh, since then. And there's going to be, uh, I, I, you know, there's going to be a big protest coming up today. Uh, they're talking about, you know, women's march levels of attendance. So it's going to be huge. Uh, I really hope that the violence does. I mean, that you know the looting and things like that and rioting don't flare up on Saturday, uh, but there will be a much bigger crowd. So let's see how things go. So, so you described a few incidents, incidences that happened there. Uh, is the looting and rioting really widespread or is it kind of localized in some um, isolated areas? Look, um, wherever there's been a huge protest, 
there has often been some instance of looting or some instance of arson. One of the problems is when you have, you know, a huge public disruption, like a protest of this magnitude going on across the entire country, you're going to have opportunists, you're going to have political extremists or looters who try taking advantage of the situation. And, you know, I want to remind people, uh, you know, this country is heading towards borderline 30% unemployment. Uh, I know that the IPA has done some very excellent advocacy on trying to end these horrible lockdowns, but they have definitely played a role in just how bad things are right now um, because people are in a very dire situation. Uh, and, you know, this was sort of the, you know, spark that ultimately lit the fire, uh, which is existing resentment about the police's relations with the community. Um, and look, there are instances of looting. I want to stress that a majority of people are peaceful protesters. And I have personally seen peaceful protesters calling out the looting and calling for it to stop. Uh, but the problem is when you're an, one unarmed person and you see five thugs trying to break into a store, what can you do to stop it? And unfortunately, it's one of these terrible things. But we shouldn't forget the fact that this is a majorly a peaceful protest with a very important message behind it. Yeah, and I think when the protest started, the like all the public sympathy was with the protesters because it was peaceful and it was an issue that a lot of people care about and is a problem in the US. And then the riots start happening and I feel public sentiments kind of switching. Is that something you're seeing as well? Uh, to a certain degree, absolutely. Uh, look, it's a shame, right? Because everyone I've spoken to, literally everyone, even people who have hashtag blue lives matter on their profiles, agree that what happened to George Floyd is inexcusable and that those officers deserve to be charged with murder. Um, but you know, when you see images of innocent people's businesses being destroyed, of cars being set on fire, it's hard not to lose some sympathy for some of these protesters. But keep in mind that equally, a lot of the people doing all the bad stuff are opportunists. They have their own causes and their own agendas. Uh, we're seeing you know, political activists from the far left and the far right uh, including one group that was pretending to be Antifa on Twitter, uh, who are using this as an opportunity to push their own political agendas and into you know, so chaos. Uh, but you know, cooler heads need to prevail. We need to understand that while looters need to be punished and arrested, peaceful protesters need to have their rights uh, preserved and their cause and their message needs to be uh, considered and addressed. Yeah, because like uh, I, I just feel the public dialogue over the George Floyd protest now is just 100% focused on the looters and what their motivations are and what the right response to the looters should be. And we've completely gone away from the serious issues of what happened to George Floyd and serious issues of police brutality and the necessary reforms that come in. And I like we were talking on the last episode, if all the public are talking about the looting and responses and what the looters want then we're just going to be back in next time it happens because there's going to be no reforms brought in because there's no pressure. Yeah, and look, keep in mind, right, uh, one of the reasons why we see so much police brutality is that the police forces in this country uh, have become increasingly militarized and people are losing trust in their local police force. They're using paramilitary tactics, including no-knock SWAT team raids, which ended up killing Breonna Taylor. She was an innocent African-American woman. Uh, and the problem is when people see images of looting splashed across their screen and they are led to believe that this is the norm, which it really isn't, uh, they're going to call and demand for more police action. And that's going to, uh, you know, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. It's going to make things even worse. Uh, we really need to move away from that and have constructive conversations about what a police force should look like and how concerns about the abuse of power, which, you know, does happen in this country quite a lot, can be addressed and stopped. So let's get into that because you work at Reason, which does a heap of fantastic work on criminal justice and police brutality in the United States. And people should check that out on the internet if they haven't seen it before. Now, if you could just sort of briefly, I guess, hit on a few things that the major reforms that Reason think should happen to policing in the United States and criminal justice and sentencing and things like that. What would sort of be the two or three things that they'd love to see? Sure. So um, there's a number of measures to look into which Reason and other you know, groups I've been fighting for for years. Firstly, we have to consider this doctrine called qualified immunity. And it's a legal mm. doctrine that basically shields police officers uh, from liability for quite blatantly uh, violating people's civil rights. Uh, you know, well before the George Floyd case, there were situations where police had shot dead family pets. One case where they shot at a 10-year-old kid who got injured. And there's a case even where uh, they stole $200,000 from a civilian 
uh, and they got off because of this qualified immunity principle that you know, gives them, you know, shields them from liability. So that doctrine needs to be looked at very seriously. It was you know, brought to me in the 1960s. Arguably, it isn't as relevant today uh, when we have these police forces that behave like military units and you know, have military-grade weaponry and things like that. Uh, the second thing we can do is we can look at the influence of police unions, uh, which tend to protect bad cops. Uh, we can also consider the role of civilian oversight boards, which is something which uh, Reason hasn't you know, written about generally quite a lot. I personally, I'm looking into it. Uh, so the idea is that you have an accountability measure where civilians connect to the community form committees and they're able to adjudicate police misconduct complaints because letting these be handled internally uh, without giving you know, the community a final say uh, means many bad cops end up getting off. Uh, we can also look at measures to utilize data better and they found that if you look at the past record of a lot of cops you could actually predict quite you know reliably that they are likely to commit abuse again and indeed the you know derek chauvin who's now charged with a second degree murder he had a record of abuse and complaints against him so you know it's not like they couldn't have seen this coming so there's a number of different solutions to look into but we really need to focus on these and focus on demilitarizing the police. There is absolutely no reason why police force should behave like an army with, you know, toys that they have no business playing around with. Yeah, so there's something uh, earlier in the interview you talked about that I want to discuss. And, like, I, I know I said there's too much attention being put on the looters, but it is a fascinating thing to talk about. And one thing I want to ask is... Uh, America locks down the economy for three months. There's not a whole lot of help that gets out to people that desperately need it. And then people are, you know, surprised when uh, there's violence and people start seizing other people's property. I, 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 like, I'm not saying that there's any legal immunity from what's happening or that it's not terrible and they should be prosecuted. But I can sort of see that if you're left on your own and you're vulnerable, I can see why people are doing this. Do you reckon, like this is going to sort of end the lockdown just to get people back to work, to get people out of the riots? It's hard to say at this point, but I will say that I've been quite, you know, pissed off really about the number of, uh, you know, so-called public health experts who've come out of the woodwork to say, you know, you know, good on you for coming out there and protesting. This is completely justified. We don't need to have a lockdown anymore. Uh, not because I disagree with that, but because they have not been willing to apply the same courtesy uh, to simply allowing businesses to run and allow life to carry on and people to be in jobs and so on, which I think is also incredibly important. And I don't see how these people can have the moral justification or any credibility going forward to justify lockdowns once these protests are over. You know, you cannot apply these rules inconsistently. Just because you agree strongly with the protesters, and I agree strongly with the protesters, but just because you agree strongly with them, uh, but then you don't like the idea of people going out and, you know, engaging in the daily business doesn't mean that uh, your Karenism, you know, uh, is justified. And these people might have fancy titles as public health experts, uh, but they need to be consistent. Otherwise, you know, the public is going to, uh, they're going to lose credibility in the eyes of the public. We need to have evidence-based public health measures that take into account the economic damage uh, and the social damage of having these sorts of lockdowns. And I think once these protests are done, it's going to be very hard to justify that case for severe lockdowns again. And we know that even the guy in the UK who uh, was, you know, ashamed because his predictions about the number of deaths or the number of infections were not accurate, even he's come out praising the Swedish model, which was a lot more liberal. Uh, so, you know, we need to keep these things in mind and hopefully it'll help in the recovery once these protests are done and as our society comes out of this coronavirus pandemic recession. Satya, you're exactly right. We were talking earlier in the show about how in Victoria that they've said that they're not going to find people who are protesting over the weekend about the very same issue that you're talking about, which, as you mentioned, is completely inconsistent. Now, we've asked you a lot about it, a lot about uh, very heavy topics. When did you move to Washington, D.C.? How are you finding it? And would you, you know, we've got a lot of young freedom fighters that listen to this podcast. Would you recommend them taking off to the land of the free and getting involved in the movement over there? Yeah, look, um, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, I moved here at the, at the end of last year, the start of this year, to take up a role with, with the Reason Foundation. So rough start. Uh, I love working for... Sorry? Rough start. Uh, I, I started around January. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, rough start. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I, I got a good solid two or three months before 
shit hit the fan and lockdown skating. So, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had a good time and I've had a weird time as well. Um, but, you know, D.C. is really, it's, it's a great city to be in. Uh, it's really the beating heart of the free world in many ways. Um, and uh, I find that political trends and that sort of thing uh, tend to be a big thing in the U.S. first and Australia follows up a few years later. And there's a lot that, you know, young freedom fighters can learn by seeing the way things run and work here. But it's a very professional place. Um, and it, it's a place where, you know, think tanks fighting for the ideas we believe in. Uh, you know, we were there and then there's lobbyists who try to get special interest groups, uh, you know, slice the pie. And then there's, you know, um, community organizations and so on. It's a very great ecosystem to just watch the process of how things really come together. Uh, so I'd highly recommend for anyone who's interested in, you know, fighting for the ideas we believe in. Uh, if you get the opportunity to come live and work in DC, it's one of a kind, absolutely. And we can bring out the lessons we learned back home to fight for the cause that we believe in to, you know, make Australia a prosperous and strong country as it should be. All right, Sadie Mara, thanks so much. I really wanted to talk to someone who's like in Washington, D.C., seeing the protests, seeing the stuff, just to get a full idea of what's going on. So Sadie Mara, uh, policy analyst at Reason over in the U.S., where can people follow you on social media if they want to hear more of what you got to say? Yeah, sure. So follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Mr. Jeep. Uh, I'm sure you can put a link in the description of the video, hopefully. Uh, I'm also on Facebook as uh, Satyajit Marar-Writer. Uh, and you'll see all my articles being posted there. And I write a number of subjects, education policy, tech policy. Uh, and I'm, of, I'm of course, also writing on what's going on here and, uh, you know, reforming the, the criminal justice system, hopefully, in response to the way, you know, these, the, the cause of eliminating the abuse of power by state actors. All right, brilliant. Sacha, thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much. Take care. End of the show, just to bring everyone into a Friday. This one's fresh off the press, Pete. Mm, okay. uh, I only just saw this as we were listening back to Sachi's interview. Article in the Washington Post, shut down all police movies and TV shows. Ooh, now. Who was that? That is uh, Alyssa Rosenberg. And I think that's basically the only way you can solve the issues at the moment is by stopping CSI Miami. I mean, I think that's the one thing holding us back. Does that mean you have to not have videos about crime? As well, I guess not have anything bad in any movies ever. I think yeah, it's just basically we need to stop, uh, basically just any cop show. I want to read out one paragraph, which really, by the way, that would make there be only like three shows. Like once you yeah. get rid of the cop shows, there is uh, God Friend and Me. Not familiar with that. Uh, don't don't think you would be. I'm just trying to think like the US schedule. There's like God Friend and Me, uh, ER if that's still going, and then Static. Like that that's all you're giving NBC for the rest of time. Do they still have Seinfeld? Uh, they do reruns. You can do Seinfeld, but I think there was a few episodes with cops. So yeah. I don't know if they're tainted by the lasting memory of the cop presence in the show mm. on the uh, whether or not George has had the right of way into the park uh, for deep cut Seinfeld reference. Now, this one paragraph really got me. The closest thing to a reformist police show right now is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh. Really? What? Reformist? <laughs> I have seen that and that's quite funny. It's... Oh. You don't like it? Oh. Mate, I'll tell you what. D- no, no. I should say I also like vanilla ice cream. And I like oh. margarita pizzas. Okay, well, margarita pizza is an absolute work of art. So, <laughs> you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a very humorous oh, show. Man, imagine it. watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine and just thinking, this is really good reformist literature. Yeah. This is, this is what what's, people need. What's the argument for that being reformist? Uh, that it just dealt with... Uh, wait, hang on. I'll close my phone. Give me two seconds. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, a sitcom that alternates explorations of the policies and identity politics in the New York Police Department with fantastic gags and one-liners. Zero of those words are true in my book. Yeah, I don't think that's true. All right, uh, <laughs> let's go on to some stories that we did plan out. So we have the return of a great segment that I thought was gone forever, but we found a way to bring it back. So Pete's not fine worldwide. Pete's not fine worldwide. Mr. Worldwide, they call me. Uh, what's that, sorry? Dade. It's another one of your sayings. I'm just going to keep saying it every time you say Mr. Worldwide because I know it just makes you pause. Okay. Like a rampaging bull just going straight to a pause because you heard something. So anyway, this is where we talk about stuff that's happening with COVID around the world that's crazy. And Pete's not fine in Australia is Tuesday, but that's kind of stopped a bit. Anyway, monkeys in India stole and ate samples of three people who had tested for COVID-19 in Meerut Medical College in Uttar Pradesh. 
and ate it. I said, they ate, but yeah, they ate the samples. They, they ate stole. the samples. Yeah, I thought they just had them. No, they ate them. An eyewitness video shows one of the monkeys chewing the sample collection kits on top of a tree. Parts of those kits were later seen lying strewn on the ground to the concern of local officials. Uh, now, apparently monkeys are congregating in areas that are normally taken up by humans as is happening around the world. You know, we see the animals come back because the humans are stuck. Humans are we the are the virus. Yeah, humans are the virus. They're in their houses. Nature is healing. But some monkeys are suffering because the food they eat is made by humans. They just nick food off out of bins and stuff and it's not there. And Anyway, that's just a bit of monkey chat for you. The main story is them stealing the samples. Yeah, <laughs> that went off the rails. Uh, yeah, so I think everyone, because everyone freaked out that the monkeys had the coronavirus samples. I think people are being way too pessimistic, by the way. Mm. I mean, we only found the co- uh, antibiotics when bread got left out overnight. Maybe this is what we needed. Is we just right? needed something. Yeah, because like, didn't the guy leave out bread and then came back and it was all moldy and he figured out antibiotics? Penicillin or Maybe something. Maybe I'm thinking penicillin. But all I know is Pen- scientific discoveries can happen where you least expect it. Yeah. So I don't think we need to rule out the monkeys as a bad thing right now. The guy that got hit on the head with an apple. Yeah. Worked out gravity. Yeah, we, before that, we are all just floating around. Uh, and the other thing I want to say is like, I've seen a clip recently of a monkey on a motorcycle, park the motorcycle and nearly steal a toddler. Oh. Now, if you're telling me that a monkey is that smart to do that, but not smart enough to cure coronavirus, mm. then you're wrong. The concern it's is- all hands on deck. Yeah. We need to solve this thing. The concern is that they spread it, but I don't know if that works. But you can get it from bats. <laughs> the, concern, so. the concern is that you spread it. Yeah, yeah interesting. Interesting counterpoint. So, yeah. All right, last thing I want to talk about uh, and is basically like, look. This is the second last thing, by the way. Second last thing I want to talk about. So basically, a lot of celebrities have really felt the need, more so than usual, mm. to uh, post what they're feeling about the George Floyd uh, killing. And... You know, it, it, uh, we also saw like the black squares on Instagram. Everyone posted that uh, over this week. Uh, now, do you want to talk about the Emma Watson one? Yeah, okay. Let's do, let's do that. Uh, so, obviously, the Harry Potter star, Emma Watson. Everyone knows who that is. Joined, as James says, heaps of celebrities that did the black square thing. How is she getting trouble from fans because she didn't just put the black square thing up? 50, 57 million followers, by the way. She put the black square up. How many are you up to, the Instagram influencer? Not quite 57 million. I think it's about almost 300. But okay. um, peter.j.gregory.7. Check it out. Uh, black square with a white uh, border around it, right? So, and, and she didn't just have one. She had three. And it also looked like she had three white ones below it, but I couldn't work out if that was actually real or not. They've been deleted now. And that is meant to be, apparently it's to, for her aesthetic of her Instagram page. And she got... Uh, you know, not cancelled, but she was in a controversy because apparently that was that was the wrong way to go about it. Yeah, it's a tough place to be. Just like whenever the, one of these social media challenges exists, there's always going to be very loud people that say, "Well, actually, it's bad." Yeah, and I got to say, uh, like, you know, uh, I didn't post one of those squares. I don't feel. Uh, it, it, it's tough. Like I thought it was silly when it happened mm. and I've listened to podcasts that say like, actually, you know, it, it can be good to, you know, provide a voice and let people know how many people out there support uh, people like that. But I just go like, my thing is in a time when news has to spread yeah. and we need as many videos about the riots as we can see just to know what's going on. I'm talking yeah. like police brutality and brutality from the rioters. Like just, don't post would be my thing. Just let news spread. Let people see what's going on. I don't see why we need to know that Emma Watson stands with Black Lives Matter. I don't know who was under the impression that she wasn't. I couldn't work out what is wrong with that. I guess it's... So they were, they were saying that she's putting the priority of it, the aesthetic above the message. Yeah, it's just like I, if we want people's information, like if we want information about what's going on to get out there, hmm. then... The 17 people I follow on Instagram who aren't in Minnesota don't really need to post black squares because otherwise, like, uh, voices and information that we do need to hear from right now don't get the Mm. same level of platform that they would any other day, the Blackout Tuesday. That's exactly right. And Emma Watson went on to say that she's a racist. I'm still learning about the many ways I unconsciously support and uphold a system that is structurally racist. So she's a racist. Rough. Uh, Ashton Kutcher also had a very interesting take on these things. Uh, He... Again, it's tough because like everyone's motivated by good intentions, and it's just the execution that gets just a bit off. So it's not like I'm thinking, "What an idiot!" But I, I, I <laughs> what has know. happened to you, James? I just saying, like, okay, he made a two-minute Instagram video. He clearly either was on the verge of tears or had just been crying. Mm. But it's sentences like this where you just go, "Maybe just put down the phone." Mm. So, uh, Josh, if we can play that sentence now. But I had a really poignant experience tonight when I was putting my kids down to bed. 
that lent the words for why black lives matter. I don't know if you were like the only way that that sentence falls into something worthwhile in the debate if you, is if you put your kid to bed next to a police officer beating a black man. Like, I, I just don't know what is going to come out of that sentence that is going to be helpful to the national debate about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It will, well, believe it or not, the two-minute video that Ashton Kutcher made wasn't helpful no. about Black Lives Matter. Uh, he did, when he do, does the bit at the end where he starts crying, he actually looked like an actor. Now, is Ashton Kutcher a good actor? Good actor? I like him. He looked like an actor who was deliberately trying to make something look crap. Right. So that's the, what I got from that. He looked like he was fake crying. I, 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 mean, I, I don't know if he wasn't. I wasn't in the room. Sued by Kutcher, but. I wasn't in the room. I'm sure he's very emotional about what's going on. And I know his intentions are good, as are everyone who was posting the Black uh, Out Tuesday post. Mm. Put down the phone. Well, he goes, he goes, all lives matter. People who say all lives matter shouldn't be cancelled. They should be educated and then he tried to educate them yes and probably failed uh i feel a bit sorry for his son it sounds like his son is blamed for every bad thing a man's ever done <laughs> which is a bit rough on young dimitri but um yeah that was my take on that as well uh, now well, james last segment yeah last thing uh i uh hands up i forgot to do this last time <laughs> so two weeks ago i said like uh, we'd been getting questions from the crowd and then uh, we did the show and i even mentioned on the show that we were going to do it and then I forgot. Yeah. Because hey, we're all learning. And to be all, fair, I forgot as well. We're all, we're all growing as podcasters. So, you know, give us time. Mm. So, I thought uh, we just put up a post again this afternoon for people who follow us on Instagram. So, it's going to be a mix of like what people have sent us now and then what people have sent us then. I'm just going to read through some questions so, and we'll just answer them on air. So, I want to figure out a good one here. Uh, oh, I like this one. So, not a question, but it would be get lit to get Tim Smith on to talk about Chairman Dan. I would love to get Tim Smith on. Can I? I don't know whether it's good etiquette or not to say that we've tried. Uh, we're trying. We're I don't trying. Think, I don't think we've put, like, you know, it's, on, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, let's, let's circle back on that one. Uh, I've got another one here. Is Boston on? I, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that Boston is quickly becoming the people's favourite and that we're in trouble. Boston is a fantastic uh, podcaster and a fantastic person to have on the podcast. He's not on this episode, obviously, but uh, we should get Boston to be on again soon. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I've got another one here. What Best songs of the year so far. I think we're going 2020 releases. I'm giving it very easily to the adults are talking by the strikes. First song of the new album. I can say... Oh, I think this was released last year, Silver by DMAs, or The Glow was released this year. Which What's is The good, Glow? Just a track by DMAs. Oh, you just I, love I the DMAs. Like, I like two songs. Do you like Oasis? I do. I don't know. I couldn't really name any songs that have been released this year, apart from those two. Uh, what have I got else here? Oh, here's an interesting one. Does James Bolt actually watch his hair in egg whites as suggested by a recent YouTube comment? All right, look. I missed that. You know what? A lot of people out there were doing funny things with their hair in lockdown, okay? A lot of people shaved their hair. I decided, you know what, I've always wondered what it would look like growing out and I saw your YouTube comments and they were mean and they hurt my feelings mm. and they're gone. What did you, were you did, why were you experimenting with hygiene though? Sorry? Why were you doing away with washing it? I, I, well, I don't know anything about egg white hair, but I was... Oh, so you don't know what that is? I don't know what that's referring to, okay. but I just, I, I want to know, I see those comments and they're mean and they hurt my feelings, so please stop it. Bolt does read the comments. Uh, what else have we got here? Um... That's about all the good ones. Oh, last one here. Can we have more roof roof than bolt? Okay. Oh, who that said hurts. that? That hurts. Who I'm not that? going to give away names to give more oxygen to a hateful comment. That was, was it like, you know, Peter, I can't think of a fake <laughs> no, name. No, it wasldn't you or Frida <laughs> <laughs> or any of your Frida, mates. Mate, Frida loves you. Frida doesn't want me to talk. Frida uh, enough crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. That is it for the show this week. Fun Friday show. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Yeah, see you Tuesday.